Welcome to the Lead with Levity podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Walker, and I hope I'm not the first person to say this to you, but Happy New Year! I hope that you and your family and your friends and those who are closest to you are well today. I myself am looking forward to some big things in 2021. Lead with Levity is expanding, our team is growing, and I hope to share some more information about that on LinkedIn as well as our newsletter. So if you haven't subscribed to that already, it's a great way to get connected to what we're doing in a way that you wouldn't be able to just on social media. So one thing that I've been reflecting on is really, truly, what is the difference between December 31st and January 1st? And honestly, there really isn't any difference. <laughs> it's There's one day and then there's the next day. And 2020 taught us that days can just kind of uh, meld into each other and it can be really hard sometimes to see what is so different, what is so exciting and interesting, and why should I do something differently today? If you wake up feeling like that, you're right. There is nothing that's really different between December 31st and January 1st, except you, your mindset, what you choose to believe, about the day, about the outlook, and every all of the opportunities that you have available to you in the upcoming year. So I encourage you today to choose uh, a positive outlook, to choose to pour into someone else in a really positive way. And today's guest is going to talk to us a little bit about pivoting in life. And we're going to have such a wonderful conversation. I'm looking forward to it. The guest today is Ira Wolf. He will be joining us shortly. Please take a moment to listen to the highlight from today's episode. And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. I'll see you on the other side. It's time for a sneak peek. And the reality is that Mr. Normal died and everybody's mourning and including his wife, Constance, and his daughter, Consistency. And they live on Main Street. And uh, how long can that go on? And, but there are people who move on and they celebrate because that's how Normal would want you to do it. And there's people that just can't move beyond Normal. And that's going to be a challenge. And, and I think you're seeing that now. There's this clamor to, we can't wait till we get back to normal. And now on with the show. I'm Dr. Heather Walker, and this is Lead with Levity. I help leaders create awesome work environments where communication is light, enjoyable, and uplifting. I shed light on the power of levity at work. Imagine just how much you can get done in that kind of environment. Come explore with me. Welcome back to the Lead with Levity podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Walker, and y'all are in for a treat today. Our guest is Ira Wolf. Ira is a TEDx speaker and the host of Geek Skeezers and Googleization. He's also the CEO of Success Performance Solutions. 
Ira, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Heather. It's a pleasure to be here. Excited to, to, to talk about whatever we're going to talk about today. I know, me too. I have no clue what we're going to talk about either. <laughs> Every day is a different day. You know? That's right. That is so true. So Ira, I am so curious about your story because when I looked you up, you have done everything from research and and conversation and thought leadership around generational differences to technology and the future of business to social media and branding and, and all of the things. How did you become so diversified? Like, how did you get started and, and then just branch out like that? That's really impressive. Well, it's an interesting question. And I'll make it even, uh, depending on, I guess, your perspective, stranger or more diverse, because I started as a dentist. That was my career wow. uh, path since fifth grade. And, and when I did my TED Talk, that was actually the topic of that. Not it, it was how to make change work for you, which was the title of my TED Talk. But mm-hmm. what I somewhere in fifth grade, I, I still remember this vividly. As I, the teacher, it was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I remember going around the classroom and everybody, you know, talked about being teachers and taxi cab drivers and uh, a nice skate or, or a skating teacher, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And it came to me and it's like, what do you want to be? And I go, a dentist. I, I, I don't, I, obviously there were some influences when you grow up, are you going to be a doctor or attorney or an accountant or you're going to have a professional life. Uh, So that was the influence of what that was going to be, what I was going to be. So I chose a dentist and then I was probably just too stubborn. It's like, you're still going to be a dentist. Oh, you're so cute. Oh, you're getting so big. Do you want to be a dentist? So it went through. And so I I did. And I started my practice. I was in the health, the U.S. Public Health Service. I had a residency. I mean, had a pretty accomplished career there. And then I had a very successful practice in a community. And I, as I said in my TED talk, I loved everything thing about dentistry, but dentistry, mm-hmm. which leads back to your story is what I yeah. loved. What's what most people didn't. I loved running the business. I loved, I loved building the business. I can't say running the business as much as growing the business. And I was successful at it and I grew the business and it got bigger, which you know, was everybody's goal. But I also, I have a marketing gene from part of my family, my, my family prior to me, other than for one or two cousins, everybody was in retail or marketing. And so I grew up where people were always marketing their businesses, advertising their businesses. Everybody was talking about employees, how to manage it better. And so ultimately, even in dentistry, I was, you and I were talking about it briefly before the show. I was probably a marketing company that just happened to be a a dental practice. I loved growing it. It was that entrepreneur part. It was that startup part that interesting. And, and people would often say, it's like, when are you going to slow down? When are you going to stop and smell the roses? And I go, there's, I, I'm not a rose smeller, I guess. It's like, even now it's like, we've got this year, we planted roses in front where there were a couple of bushes that were out. And it's like, oh, wow, look at that. Look how many, the, the flowers are coming out. And it's like, so what are you going to do next? Well, I guess I'll replace other bushes because it's like the bushes that are just growing now aren't as much fun as starting something from scratch. So I I guess it's partly my diverse nature is how did I do that is partly my entrepreneur nature. Maybe I get, I got the attention span of a gnat. How do I keep doing it? And when you're creating content, when you're interviewing and doing podcasts, live streams, 
writing articles, being interviewed, attending conferences. You're always doing something slightly different. No, no two are That's exactly very true. the yeah, no two are exactly the same. So very, very true. So what is important to you when you're building up your team? Those people who work for you and with you and mm-hmm. all of that. Well, what is that they share my passions, which I guess is another way of saying that's my culture, that they have to be passionate about what we do, but they also have to want to grow individually. So although I've certainly created jobs, provided jobs for people, I created jobs and I've provided opportunities for people, I was always helping them grow. I mean, I, even as a dentist, and again, they were small businesses. I always provided training. There were conferences. I, we always closed the office and took them to training. That would be a lot easier too with online trainings. But there was always, I always wanted to give people an opportunity to grow, to become better at what they did. And some people loved what they were doing and they just became better at doing the same thing better. They were an assistant, a receptionist, whatever they were, or they moved on and they moved on to bigger and better things. I mean, they, some went back to school and in, even in my current role, we're smaller now, we're all diverse, we're all virtual. We've been virtual for years, but I've uh-huh. got, I've got a handful of people across the country and I haven't seen my assistant in 10 years, literally. I, we haven't seen each other in years wow. yet. No one actually knows we're not in the same place. I, I think now people accept it better. But up until March, February, or March, people assumed we were in the same location. And she's in Missouri and I'm in Pennsylvania. And hmm. I've got another colleague in Georgia. So we're all around. And so life has changed that way. But again, going back to your question is I look for people who are, I guess, number one, passionate. And then the passion that they want to grow and they learn. And then also that they, that they're interested in what we're doing. That is not just the job. Yeah. So I noticed something on like all of your marketing and, and materials and stuff. It's all really cheeky, like shift happens and <laughs> your this is all FCC'd up. And yeah. <laughs> I, I'm wondering, does that play into your company and and how you keep levity high in your company? Yeah, I never, I guess I didn't look at it as levity, but I guess it is. So playing on words, trying to teach people. One is I, I try to be common sense. Some of this is tough. I mean, culture is hard. There's people yeah. that literally have masters and PhDs and and developing culture. And so it's not as easy as a lot of people tend to make it. It's like, hey, come to my session and we'll teach you how to transform your culture. Uh, it, it's, it really isn't that easy. So, but to get people interested, you have to make it common sense. And the, I, I guess whether it's levity or fun or humorous or intriguing, maybe I'm trying mm-hmm. What is it that will get somebody's attention? And so the subtitle of my book was when the shift hits your plan. Okay, what could I do that 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 sort of grabs somebody's grabs somebody's attention? Yeah, the FCD, the I gotta get credit for that. The FCDD is for the four horsemen of customer experience. And my or not ah. a colleague, but a friend of mine is uh, Debbie Levitt. 
Uh, she's in UX, a user experience. And ah, she okay. came up with the four factors that basically, frust- well, that frustrate, confuse, distract, or disappoint people. You know, so when you Ooh. think of a customer experience, especially e- e-commerce, digital experience, what are the things that frustrate, confuse, disappoint, or distract? And she called them the four horsemen of bad customer service. And I saw that and I go, hey, can I use this for co- candidate experience? Because that it really is customer experience. And so that's where that mm-hmm. came up. And that's then it was, cool. a mat- yeah, it was, it was a matter of how do I, how do I get people's attention? And I got to tell you, I, last year I did 27 conferences. And some of those turned in, ended up turning into virtual ones in, for this year. But I got to tell you that the, my, by that title alone, your candidate experience is all FCDD up. We won't, I haven't found, I won't say the short version of it, but <laughs> you know, it's like- We try and keep it clean. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or it's all left up. It's, it, the reality is I would say half of those people would say, listen, when our committee saw your title, they decided that was it (laughs) because it engaged people. It was intriguing. It was a little different than standard again, but it's my marketing hat. And so I'm always looking for the metaphor we're working. We're actually, I'm working with a a company now we're going to, it's, I'm sort of dripping it out, but it's the adaptability quotient. They did a lot of research. They've Mm -hmm. been backed by a lot of large recognizable groups, which I'm not allowed to say who they are yet. Okay. Uh, But there's an adaptability quotient and there's some AI, truly AI in it. It's a very innovative way to take an assessment. I know you're familiar with assessments. You know, most of our, here's a statement. I totally agree or I totally disagree with the statement or one to five or read, you know, order these words. But everybody's familiar with taking the surveys and assessments. This is based on AI and it asks you a question and then you're in a chat. So you're having this chat with a very human-like person, a robot. Yeah, yeah. But but it's like, oh, hey, that was an interesting response. I'm thinking, and literally, this is how it comes out. That was an interesting response. Based on your answer, what do you think about this? Mm. And it's it was a fascinating process. And I've been saying for years, in fact, I had a chapter in my book, how, how pre-employment tests as we know them will become obsolete. Right. Uh, very, very shortly. And, and I was really thinking about AR and VR, virtual reality, augmented reality. But the chat was a very interesting way to do it. So that is based on AI. And then because they're collecting all this data, they're constantly updating it. So the adaptability, so we're working on this adaptability. And I've been trying to come up with the phrase. And this morning, it's one of those things you wake up and you're thinking about it. And it was like, it, it was adopting adaptability. Yeah, is what's what's an alliteration? What's a metaphor? What's something catchy that would grab people's attention to just say, "Oh, it's just another assessment about culture or about change." Right, Uh, and they're minor differentiators. So, so stay tuned. I haven't come up. I'll, I'll tell you the one that I submitted. I just submitted it to a conference last night because the deadline was yesterday. And, <laughs> so and, and you're I, tired then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, well, I'm tired for a lot of other reasons, but now I'm actually excited about it. It was like, so I, I got it done and it was adopting. Oh, adaptability is your job was the title. And again, whether that resonates or not, it, it's some testing we'll see. But the fact is, adaptability is everybody's job. 
<laughs> these days. Everybody has to adapt. I mean, is. there there is no going back to normal, which is what I've been talking about, mostly about. In fact, I wrote an obituary to normal. I published it on LinkedIn. And I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. Yeah. If you go to my profile and everybody's invited the connector, just look at my profile. I think I have it pinned on there when you look at activities. But so it's the obituator normal. And it's basically that normal died, um, not coming back. And every and we're all in and many people are still in grieving there. And, and just as when somebody dies, there are people that that celebrate their life and there's people who mourn their death and you could do both. But some people never do the celebration and never move on. They just mourn and then they die, too. And, and the reality is that Mr. Normal died and everybody's mourning and including his wife, Constance, and his daughter, cons- Consistency. <laughs> And they live on Main Street. And uh, how long can that go on? And But there are people who move on and they celebrate because that's how normal would want you to do it. And there's people that just can't move beyond normal. And that's going to be a challenge. And, and I think you're seeing that now. There's, there's this clamor to, we can't wait till we get back to normal. And then even people who are, I say, oh, it's, I'm a little fearful about going back into the workplace. And then they go back to the workplace and they have to wear a mask. They have no choice. They have to wear a mask. And we were just talking about this yesterday with somebody. And they said, yeah, they went into, they they had the first time they had to go back into their office and they looked and there's big circles on the ground in the elevator. So instead of having eight people crowded into the elevator, you could have two. Mm -hmm. And it takes, and it took long. There were like two people, there were four, three people in line and it, they had to wait. Because two, only oh, two people yeah. were allowed in the elevator. You got up, everybody had to have masks on. They got up to their room and they had a meeting. And normally they'd have six people in a room, but it's a small room. So they only could have three people. And the other three people had to be on their computers outside in on a Zoom meeting in their office. Right. That's the new normal. That is the new normal. Yeah. And it's the same thing go- in classrooms right now. Yeah. Is it going to go back? Yeah. I mean, are we going to be able to get four people in an elevator? Probably, but there might not, that might not, I can't talk, might not be a problem because there may not be that many people at work because the longer this goes on, the more people are adapting to the new normal. I, I don't like the term new normal. I, I right. Cause normal's gone. Remember yeah. that. Yeah. Or next normal 2.0. Everybody's trying to come up with this. I, I interviewed somebody a few weeks ago. It talks about future next Johnson. A. Yeah. So uh-huh. that's actually his new book. And I can't wait for it to come out. He's a super good down the earth futurist. Jason Aver book. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Some of the people in the HR no. world, maybe Jason has future now. Because future is now. So, but yeah, normal, you know, we're not going back to normal. There is, there, we never have, we never will. We're, we're not, there is, there is no, normal is going to be something new and we don't know what it's going to look like. So. So switching gears just a little bit, this is adjacent. You've been able to find the light side in the midst of some pretty dark, scenarios and just being courageous enough to to put it all out there and to find a humorous way of putting it all out there even down to I'm I feel like I'm a millennial who's stuck in a baby boomer's body (laughs) 
how do you feel like you have to be courageous to do that? Or how do you prepare to do that? Because there are so many people out there who are maybe feeling stuck in a mold where I have to behave in a certain way. I have to speak in a certain way, write in a certain way. I could never write a tagline like that. I could never come out like that. So how do you do that? And what advice do you have for those people who are kind of stuck in that mold? So apparently I'm hardwired to some degree with that. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll go back to initially uh, the, uh, I probably, whether it's nature or nurture, probably some genetic hardwiring in, in the marketing side of, I grew up with a family that I, that I can't say they were all super creative, but they were always looking for doing something just a, a little bit different. Although they all, ne- all, all, the, all their business names all had their name in it. So I'm not sure. If that was <laughs> it's my <laughs> that, business. Yeah, if, 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 if that was created or not. But I, I would say the first thing when you're asking me the question, the first thing that came to mind was having a growth mindset. And again, it's about mindset is why I couldn't do that. And the question is why? So I don't know if you are familiar with Carol Dweck's work, which is probably the most famous for it, about mindset, about growth mindset and fixed mindset. Mm. And for anybody who wants to, you can look it up. You can do a Google search and her her last name's D-W-E-C-K and the book's called Mindset. And she did a lot of research and she did it on children. And it was the fact of the matter is why do we stop growing? Why do we stop learning? Why do we like, why does the valedictorian from your class sometimes not end up as the most successful person? And part of of it goes back to what a fixed and growth mindset and a fixed and growth mindset is that the fixed mindset doesn't mean you're not open-minded. It just means that you're not willing to take the chance that at some point that because you're an A student, if you get a B, somebody says you didn't try hard enough. And therefore, you, you start selecting courses that you can get an A in. And you start living, you start doing things that keep that lifestyle up. Or parents do. You know, I mean, parents, you have to go to the school. You have to do this. Is you don't want to take that course. You'll look silly. You don't want to play that sport. You're not very good at it. You don't want to try the guitar. You don't have a mus- musical bone in your body. And yeah. I've got to tell you that I, I, I on one streak, on one side of me, I had what some people thought was reckless. Like, how do you at 40 some years old, just walk away from a million dollar business? Wow. You did uh, that? Yeah. That was my dental practice. I mean, it was a very successful practice and I was literally working 20 hours a week in the office. Now I was working more than that, but I had 20 hours (laughs) of patient. I had 20 patient hours a week playing four to six rounds of golf a week. I wasn't happy and yet I was making, you know, but I was still making, you know, a lot of money. And, and that's what some people valued. And it's like, well, work less hours. It, it can't be all that bad. Stick it out a couple mm-hmm. more years. And I literally, in, within six months, I had sold the practice and started another business. And some wow. people viewed that as courageous. You use the word courage. Some people <laughs> said, wow, I could never have done that. And I didn't think it was a big leap because one is I felt, again, whether it was marketing, whether it was running a business, that I would, I could do something else. I learned transferable skills. Mm-hmm. So I had learned business skills. I love marketing skills. I like customer service. I could build a team. 
I also had good critical thinking skills. And I, I could say that I probably honed those learning how to diagnose tough problems. So I, it was like, well, what do you know about business? You were a dentist. I go, no, I, I was in business as it, I was a business person who happened to be a dentist, but, and it was successful. I mean, it wasn't that, oh, it's only about, the, it was only about the money because if it was only right. about the money, I'd still be there. Um, yeah. At, and at 20 hours a week, what? Yeah, it was not, I, you know, the less I worked, the more I made. Wow. I became, I became super efficient. It became, how could I do in 40 hours what I did in 20 and still not cut corners. It wasn't right. a mill. People still came to me because they said, I come to you and you always talk to us. You always know, you remember our kids. Like somebody come in and go, hey, how was that play? How was that vacation you took? And other dentists would take an hour with the patient and they never knew them. That's it right. It, it, there was, I could, in, in one minute, I can do with other, what some dentists talked about in 30 minutes because they're talking about their teeth. I think you need, you need this. And it was all clinical. It was all mm -hmm. technical. Hey, yeah. Person, did you floss? floss? Yes, yeah. I flossed. No, you didn't. Yeah, no, absolutely. I always, so in, in a minute I could, I can have a rapport and talk to people. So it, that was all transferable. That, that didn't take anything different. And so when I left it, it, I had to do that, but there was still this fix going back to our, what makes it different? Is it courageous? Is I still had this, I had to do it right. I had to have an image that people would say, oh, I wonder what happened to Ira. Gosh, he used to, he had this successful practice because people assumed, by the way, this was in, still in the AIDS day when AIDS was pretty, was, was still new and we didn't have, we don't mm -hmm. have a cure for it yet. But people was like, does he have AIDS? Does he have hepatitis? Wow. Oh, is his family? They went to the worst, is huh? He, is he getting, oh, he must be getting the first. Well, why would anybody at 43, 44 years old sell the biggest practice in the county? Why would he get out? What happened? What's yeah. wrong? Is he getting divorced? Is there a family? Is he, got a, is, is he burnt out? It wasn't just burnt out. I mean, there were some nasty rumors going around. And my kids were... Well, my daughter was in, they were, you know, they were in like their late teens, early twenties, but people were talking about it and yeah, it was strange. So people automatically went to the worst because like, why would you do that? And it's like, but if I was a teacher and I went into, I quit and went into business. I mean, I don't know how many teachers I knew that sold insurance or went to business <laughs> or salespeople or went to work for a company, but that's okay. Or how many attorneys didn't practice, they went to you know something else or how many engineers did something else. When it became, if you were a doctor or a dentist and you did something else, it's like, oh, you must've failed. You weren't very good at it. Mm. And so there was a sense as I had to be successful. The growth mindset, as opposed to trying to live up to your reputation and, for, and not taking chances, the growth mindset is life's a journey and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to have to learn. And the important message to go back to talk to people is look at things. Are, are you starting to do things because other people see the first time you try? It's like uh, Michael Jordan when he, he left and he played baseball okay. first, and he wasn't very good that first year. Mm -hmm. And people say, wow, when he walked away from this amazing career and people were upset with him and he went out mm -hmm. and he played baseball and he was minor league and he was striking out. 
And everybody realized that if he stuck with it another two or year, two or three years in practice, he probably would have been a, a maybe not as good as a basketball player as or a baseball player as he was a basketball player, but he would have been good. He would he would have been. And the fact is that he could actually pl- even move to another sport. But he moved back. But he was willing to go out and and try it. And, and then he he realized where his heart was, and he came back and struck a couple more deals. But there's so many people that just say. I'm not very good at that. I mean, even my granddaughter, we're talking currently, and she's struggling with math. And it's like, I'm just not very good at math. And it's like, are you not very good at math? Are you worried about not keeping your 4.0? I see. So for you, trial and error is really critical to keeping that that mindset going. To some degree, but I but I don't want to put a rosy picture on it because I still struggle <laughs> because I don't like it when it doesn't work out but I'm okay with it. And, and maybe that's the rationalization. It doesn't mean that it's like, oh, I just, I, there are people that are pretty happy-go-lucky and maybe they have a lower stress level or lower frustration tolerance that when they try something new and it doesn't work out, it's like, well, at least I tried it. When I try something new, I also want to succeed. Now, there are times that it's just like, I'm going down a rabbit hole here and it's not going to work. And hey, at least I tried it. But I, I always found that I learned something. But even when something completely failed, I, my, my TED talk, by the way, for it, because people say, oh, but you're comfortable going out in front of, of, of people and talking. <laughs> I could tell you it was one of the most humbling, difficult things I've ever done in my life. Really? And I thought I was the only one. <laughs> um, the fact is that I have no problem going onto a stage. I, in fact, I talked. Uh, it, it, right after 9-11, my first trip out of the country was two weeks mm-hmm. later. I flew to Malaysia, which was, wow. by the way, in the air, they did, they determined that Malaysia was a terrorist country. Uh, oh, they, no. They, they, re, they rescinded it by the time that I landed. So, But there were literally 3,000 people in the room. Now, think about this. Not, it was two weeks after 9-11 in Malaysia, which is a Muslim, a Muslim country. Not terrorists, but that's the, the, you yeah. know, the majority faith. I'm in this country as an American speaking to people. It was an international conference and wow. most of the people did not speak English and I didn't speak their language. So, yeah, it was a little intimidating, but you get up and do it. So mm-hmm. I would try things like that. But so I'd say a TED talk, a couple hundred people. I'm going to talk about for 18 minutes, something I like doing or less than to 18 minutes, it was incredibly humbling right up until the night before. I wasn't sure if they were going to allow me to go on because I was really struggling kind of honing the message because mm. you talk about one idea. What's one idea worth sharing? Right. And, and it's like, oh, I got a million ideas. No, you got one idea. No, one. But, but then on. I heard, I, some of you might remember, he's, he's not around a whole lot anymore, but Harry Hamlin, who Here's used to be in good. law. He was an actor in law. Oh, yeah. And I heard him on a show and they said, oh, you just did a TED Talk. How was that? And he goes, it was the most horrifying, humbling experience. He said, for weeks, I'd be driving. People thought I was probably crazy. I'm driving down the freeway and I'm talking out loud and I'm, I'm banging on my steering wheel because I can't get the message right. Wow. And here's somebody that memorizes two hour scripts to be in yeah. a movie and can be on the screen. And it was like, oh, I'm not the only one. Everybody I talked to, 
some of the best people. I mean, even with the Simon Sinek's, it's like, wow. yeah, it's, it, it's tough to make it look easy. And so, but people are afraid to even take that chance. And it's like Toastmasters, right? That's why people go to Toastmasters. Right. Uh, to stand up to people that are introverts, they go, oh, you should go to Toastmasters. And it's, that's their TED talk. It's horrifying. <laughs> and then they get comfortable with it. And then they realize that, hey, they, they don't have to be fluent, be who you are and go out there. So it's, but you asked me in the very beginning, what, who did I look for? What was my culture like? I, I always, I used to say I encourage learning and I, I, in some respects that was too narrow. I was really encouraging growth. And that's why I'm that millennial. That's why I am the millennial trapped in the baby boot body. But when people are saying, when are you going to retire? When are you going to slow down? Why? I, I got too much to learn. There's too, mm-hmm. too, too many things. It's too exciting. You still have life. You're yeah. still alive. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what's keeping it going. And people who stop that, who, who probably have that fixed mindset, it's like, oh, I'm too old to do it. They, they, they really do stop living. So Ira, this is really good. I want to close with one last question. If, and sometimes this is a doozy for people. So take your time. <laughs> if, Levity could fix one problem out there in the world. What would it be? Keeping the human and I guess putting the, the H back in human, allowing us to put be more civil to each other, uh, more respectful, you know, appreciating other people. And it's not making light of a bad situation. You know, some people look at it that way. This is no joke. We need to be serious. But no, I, I think it's just it's keeping human because robots don't have humor. Okay. They could tell a they joke. But they could tell a joke, but they don't experience humor. That's gonna maybe sometime a machine will be able to feel emotion, but humor is distinctly uh, distinctly human, and so that that to me is why it's important to keep levity. Thank you, Ira. I appreciate it, and. For those of you who are listening, we will have links to Ira's TED Talk as well as Success Performance Solutions, The Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show. If you are interested, you can check out all of those resources. Ira, thank you. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks very much. It was a lot of fun. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Lead with Levity podcast. Go to www.leadwithlevity.com to access show notes and other resources.